1: And welcome to the X1 everyone, I am Rob McConnell, we're coming to you from our broadcast centre in beautiful Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, and Hamilton is right between Toronto and Niagara Falls on the shores of Lake Ontario. Now, if you'd like to send me an email, exxon at com on all social media sites, Exxon Radio TV, and to find out about the great programming we have available for you, 724-365 on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net, and of course, the Exxon and the XZBN are available on the Digital Broadcast Network, Digital Satellite Network, and our good friends on iHeartRadio, as well as other affiliates, and networks around the world. My guest this hour is a gentleman I've had the pleasure of having on the show a number of times and somebody who I consider to be a friend. His name is Dr. David Gruder. He is a cultural psychologist who radio and TV interview reports named America's integrity expert in 2008. In addition to winning eight book awards, he has received a leadership award and a cultural creation award. Now in his fourth decade as an internationally acclaimed author... Activational speaker, trainer, facilitator, consultant, and trusted advisor, David has provided keynotes and training programs in seven countries on three continents. He has been featured in 23 books and multiple hundreds of media interviews and articles, including Inc.com twice and 18 times in Forbes, in addition to being a regular guest here on the X-Zone over the past nine years. Joining me now is Dr. David Grutter and David, always great talking to you, my friend. How have you been?
2: Oh, I've been really wonderful, working on some very exciting projects and uh, very happy with
1: my life. And uh, how are you? I, I couldn't be better, David. Uh, everything is going great. Um, my family is fine. Laura said to say hello to you as soon as she found out you were going to be a guest tonight. And, well, thank you. And David, say hi back. I certainly will, my friend. But these are very trying times. Um in Washington, as well as in Hollywood, it seems that sexual harassment has come to the top of the boiling pot. And as an integrity expert, as well as a very well-known uh, you know, cultural psychologist, what do we or what does Dr. David Gruder make about all this that is going on? Is this a new sexual revolution, or is this the sexual takedown of society?
2: Well, it's, in a way, it's a long overdue takedown. You know, this has been a skeleton in our cultural closet for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. And it used to be quite acceptable to do sexual perpetration and to remain silent about that perpetration. And then it stopped being acceptable, which is a, a good thing. And yet, the conspiracy of silence continued in many circles, and now that conspiracy of silence seems to be crumbling all at once in very, very dramatic ways, as though some sort of cultural tipping point has been reached.
1: Why has it taken so long? Some of these people who are starting to make the allegations of sexual abuse and sexual harassment have waited 40 years in some cases, David, why does it take this long? Yeah, it's a
2: great question, Rob. I think that the the biggest factor is is that women have been taught or in some cases men as well, the person who has been on the receiving end of sexual perpetration has been taught that they aren't supposed to speak up about it, that they're actually supposed to feel guilty about uh, about having brought this on themselves, allegedly, and that either they or someone close to them who has also been perpetrated on Mm -hmm. have had the experience of attempting to speak up and being shut down. So there's a learned helplessness factor in play as well, where people believe that there's no point in speaking up because they're only going to destroy their own reputation and the perpetrator is going to remain scot-free and, uh, and un- un- uh, impacted.
1: With all these high-profile cases that we're hearing about in the news, including uh, uh, the judge who's running for Republican seat, we have a congressman who has uh, had the allegations made towards him, we have a senator whose name is well known as a com- uh, comedian, as well as a uh, as a senator. I'm talking about Al Franken. Yes, um, is this is this what is going to open up the Pandora's box to to the people who are not as high profile as these people, and many many people are going to come forward, and we're going to see a big change in the way that sexual harassment and these sexual allegations are going to be handled by the courts?
2: Well, the jury is still out, if I can continue with a court metaphor, in the sense that I I think it was actually Hollywood that started the cascade. So Harvey Weinstein, uh, the mogul of a massive Mm -hmm. movie production company was the first to fall in this latest rash. In Congress, it's First of all, I think you're really wise in pointing out that this is a problem that crosses the political aisle. This is not a Democratic problem or a Republican problem. This is a, a politics problem. And the problem with that is that the, the requirements that are set up in Congress for whistleblowing around sexual violation are so, uh, so, uh, stringent and, mm-hmm. uh, and against the person who has been perpetrated on, that until those, sec- those uh, sexual violation guidelines, complaint guidelines are revised in Congress, I think that there's going to continue to be a lid put on the uh, amount of reporting that goes on.
1: But what does this say about society in general? Is this a dark dirty little secret that is finally coming to the to the um, to the top of the boiling pot or has this been a secret that has been kept in the closet because those who are at the forefront have the ability to suppress it and keep it quiet?
2: Yeah, I think it has been largely because of those who are at the forefront Uh, who have been suppressing that. And Mm -hmm. the forefront doesn't just include the perpetrators. It also includes those who are in power, who are aware that perpetration is going on or have meaningful, significant reason to believe it's going on and turn a blind eye or rebuff the complainer. Uh, So, you know, there's a power triad here of three different parties that are in a sense co-conspiring, and I don't mean a deliberate orchestrated conspiracy, but Mm -hmm. uh, co-creating the silence and the perpetration of perpetration, the continuance of perpetration.
1: If, thanks to this, this outcry from those who have been suppressed over the past 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Do you think we're going to find out more and more about the dirty secrets in society? And will these finally be able to be um, cleansed?
2: I certainly hope so. You know, in organizational development psychology, which of Mm -hmm. course is one of my areas of specialization, there's a term called an open secret. And what that Psychobab- psychobabble term means translated into English, is where people know that there's a problem and are staying silent about it. So they, they're talking, they're gossiping to each other around the water cooler, as it were, uh, but nothing is really coming from that. So it's a secret that's out in the open, but it's still a secret because it's not being dealt with. And the good news in this situation, if there is good news to be found and and there really is in the bigger picture, even though individuals have been horrendously suffering in many cases because of of being perpetrated upon, the good news in the bigger picture is that finally the taboo against speaking up is being broken down at a level that I've never seen it being broken down before during my lifetime. And as you know, I'm approaching my 64th birthday
1: now. Let me ask you a question, point blank. Did you Mm. ever sexually intimidate a woman without realizing it? Yes, I believe I did
2: when I was in my early 20s. I believe it happened on one occasion when I attempted to be... Manipulative in trying to uh, verbally manipulative and in in, mm. in trying to, if you will, seduce a woman into being sexual with me when she really seemed to have mixed feelings about that. And now we're going back to uh, the mid 1970s at a time when there was a different ethos around sexual promiscuity, uh, promiscuity rather, and and um, s- uh, loose sexual boundaries in general, at least in the circles in the United States that I was traveling in. So it's, it's not that I was really uh, in, uh, in the standards of those days, a sexual perpetrator. And in hindsight now, according to today's more appropriate standards, mm-hmm. I really did do low low level sexual perpetration verbally.
1: Yeah. But what happens when the shoe is on the other foot? Like I, I've heard a lot of ladies who have said a lot of things, made moves towards men, that if the men would have said or done the same thing as ladies, it would not be tolerated. So where's that equal balance? <laughs> Well, there
2: hasn't been an equal balance around mm-hmm. the imbalance. The there's been largely a double standard where it has been more not just socially acceptable for a woman to be sexually aggressive with a man, but it's actually been looked at as uh, as a positive thing, something that many men seem to want, <laughs> and many women. Uh, seem to have learned that if it's okay for men to do, that it's okay for women to do, as though
1: the old cliche about two wrongs make a right. E- either that, David, or doing to others as you would have them doing to you. Please stand by, my <laughs> friend. We've got to take our break. Exonation Dr. David Gruder is our guest. His website is www.drgruder. Dot com. And uh, the good doctor and I will return on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exome from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. I'm Rob McConnell. Don't go away.
0: For more information on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, visit us at www.xzbn.net.
1: If you could read my mind, love, what a tale my thoughts could tell. Just like an old time movie About a ghost from a wishing well In a castle dark Or a fortress strong With chains upon my feet You know that ghost is me And I will never and welcome back to The X-One. Dr. David Gruder is our special guest. www.drgruder.com and www.thenewiq.com um, You know, David, I, I'm up here in Canada and, and with everything that is going on on the, uh, on the U.S. news networks, how come this entire situation wasn't addressed with Monica Lewinsky and president bill clinton why you know it kind of spiked and then phew, gone
2: yeah well how come it was i'll answer that in a moment but i'll even add to that how come it was just simply ignored and glossed over with john f kennedy and his uh sexual exploits while he was married or franklin delano Roosevelt, yeah. for that matter <laughs> so yes, most recently at the presidential scandal level, mm-hmm. why wasn't it dealt with with Monica Lewinsky in a in a good way? Because preserving a political career was deemed to be more important than dealing with the social issue that the president was acting out on. Plain and simple, it was again power. It was making power more important than than human dignity.
1: Well, is there any danger in men being cast as being solely responsible at fault and women being cast as helpless victims?
2: Oh my gosh. I mean, this is part of where I think the conversation has to evolve because right now where the examples we're getting are outrageous, extreme examples of, uh, of sexual perpetration and violation that, uh, that there's, there's no way to justify, thank goodness. And yet, at the same time, even with those extreme situations, there are two other players involved in the power triad that we began to touch on during the last segment. There is the perpetrator mm-hmm. is one. Mm-hmm. There is the victim, the, the recipient of the perpetrator. Uh, perpetration is the second. And then there are those who are aware, uh, but don't speak up or take action. And so we have we have an unholy power triad, and each person bears their own responsibility in keeping the secret going. Uh, so even in horrendous situations where uh, where someone is is the victim of sexual perpetration where they honestly and truly have no meaningful power to stop the perpetration from occurring in the moment, their silence afterwards helps the perpetrator continue to perpetrate and so we we've got and then we have on top of that, honestly, Rob, we have these these kinds of, if you will, gray area situations where uh, where the person who ends up being perpetrated on has sent out maybe mixed signals or mm-hmm. come-hither signals and then has has changed their mind. And the perpetrator has either been unaware of the mind change or has ignored that mind change. Uh, so there, uh, we've we've got a whole hornet's nest of deeper dynamics that have to be addressed. Because if all we do, Rob, is stay on the surface level of the most dramatic perpetration uh, and violation situations, then the real issues, the deep core issues will remain in the closet.
1: What would happen, David, based on your professional um, opinion and the cases that you've worked on, as well as being a certified ritual elder in an international nonprofit of men creating a safer world called Mankind Project. What would happen if, let's say, a young page who works in Washington were to make sexual allegations against a woman in high power, for example, Speaker Pelosi? Mm-hmm. Would his claims create the same media ripple effect as those claims being made by women, or would it be just like in domestic violent cases where society looks at men not as victims, but as the perpetrators of the assault?
2: Right. Uh, you're, you're quite right about this double standard. So very often when a, men, a man is perpetrated on uh, by a woman, or even sometimes when he's perpetrated on by another man, Mm-hmm. the the man in the victim role in the in the role of the person who's been perpetrated on is looked on as a wimp as a passive guy who uh who should have been able to stop the perpetration behavior and therefore since he didn't do that he got what was coming to him but
1: once again if the guy is going to be be intimidated and threatened with loss of a job and, and the same things that these women are, are, are claiming that they have been um, subjected to, why does society say, all right, you know what? Women, I believe you. Men, you're pussies. You're sucks. You're weak. It makes no sense to me. For example, yeah. when I was in the police force, we responded to domestic abuse, assault charges where the men would be abused and assaulted by the wife. Yes. If you would try to take this this victim who happened to be a man to a shelter, to a a safe place, there were no places. And yet, there are so many places where women can go with their children, and society supports them when Mm -hmm. they are... The victims. This is, in my opinion, it's not fair. It's not just. It's not an equal balance. It isn't fair. It isn't just. It
2: is not even remotely an equal balance. And if we're really going to clean this sexual dysfunctional dynamic up in our society, we've got to start somewhere. And the somewhere to start is the obvious somewhere, which is with women being perpetrated on from a societal point of view simply because what a lot of men don't understand, and this is true, uh, this comes up a lot in organizations, men's organizations that are socially aware and socially responsible like the Mankind Project is, the the question of men don't even grasp what it is like to be a woman who is generally less physically capable of defending herself, unless she's had real good self-defense training, because it's too easy for her to be overpowered physically by men who generally Mm -hmm. are larger than physically and stronger physically than generally most women. And so women are dealing with this fear on a day in, day out basis of, am I going to be physically overwhelmed by a man? Am I going mm-hmm. to be sexually perpetrated on by a man uh, in a way that that most men don't really give a second thought to unless they have come already from a past in which they've been on the receiving end of sexual violation. But other than those men, uh, we, we men just don't deal with that as part of our ongoing psyche in a way that most
1: women seem to do. All right. Women say, "Hear me roar!" You know, I am woman. Hear me roar! And during the seventies, the women wanted their independence. They wanted their freedom. They wanted to—I the, no, shouldn't say freedom, but they wanted to get out of the the typical woman role and get forward job equity, which I believe they should have had from day one. You know, you do the job, you get the pay. Bang. Um, you know. Yeah. Simple, right? It it, it is. <laughs> But could this be part of the problem too? Because a little bit of power can go to a person's head very fast.
2: Well, it's the it's kind of the the dark side. I think I think you're pointing toward the dark side of mm-hmm. feminism, which the the golden side. And and I, I I want to amend the word dark because that's that's really let's it's use, used a lot. But let's it's use the other accurate. side. It's leaden, you know. If we if we use an alchemy metaphor, it's much better lead and gold. So the golden side of the women's movement was mm-hmm. drawing attention to the inequalities that shouldn't have existed, like pay inequality. I agree, my friend. Same work, and then the the leaden side of that was where women were trying to. Um, uh, to, were, we're being told essentially that that they were only going to be equals to men if they behaved as though were, they were men in drag. So they gave up their their golden side of their femininity in order to attempt to have power, rightful power, appropriate, healthy power, and that's where we got derailed because mm-hmm. the the lead and the gold weren't differentiated.
1: I don't know if I agree with you there. Tell me more. I you know. once, once again, from my perspective, when I was a cop, you know, the difference was phenomenal. You could actually see the difference on a day-to-day basis. And just that little bit of, of power, it's just like, I'll, I'll give you an example. When you get a rookie out of the academy, he gets in the police car, he's all gun ho and the power has gone to his head. You know, he's got a badge, he drives a car, and he's got a gun. He thinks he's God, which he's not. I believe that there are some women, and I'm not putting every woman into the same basket here, I believe that sometimes the power of, let's say, a woman getting into a a position of power over a group of men can be a little... uh, Well, the men might be able to might suffer more with the woman at the helm than they would have with another man at the helm.
2: Oh, I think I understand what you're trying to point out, and I think you're attempting to illuminate something very, very important. It, it is something that goes beyond gender. It's really about power drunkenness. Okay. And when an individual, let's say in the context of this discussion, when a woman who has uh, experienced Uh, oppression, let's just say uh, oppression, finds herself in a position of power, then the risk is that, uh, that, uh, the risk is of vengeance. The risk is of misusing the power. But the, the thing that's important for, I think, for us to keep in mind and more importantly for our listeners to keep in mind is that this is a dynamic that goes way beyond women or men and women. It's, it's really about authority issues and people who uh, have, whether it's because of race or culture or religion or gender or age or whatever it happens to be, who have been on the receiving end of being taken advantage of or mm-hmm. being kept down find themselves in a position where they now have power, the risk is if they haven't dealt with their own issues around having been violated or be, been put down, they will become the abusers that, that once abused them.
1: Dr. David Gruder is our special guest this hour. Exonation, our www.drgruder.com and iq. Com. And David and I will be back on the other side of this news break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast centre in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. To find out about the programming we have available for you, 724-365, on the EXOME Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. You can't see
0: If I could read your mind, love what a tale your thoughts could tell. Just like a paperback
1: novel.
0: This is the Exxon Broadcast Network. Broadcasting worldwide on broadcast affiliates and satellite program providers, including CNN Broadcast Network, Sirius Satellite Network, Star Media, Good News Radio Network,
1: Dr. David Gruder is my guest to this hour on nation com and www.thenewiq.com. Um David what 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 effect has the internet and the ability to hide behind a facade a false facade what what influence has the internet, in your opinion, had on the sexual harassment or the sexual deviant revolution that we're seeing today in society?
2: Oh, great question, Rob. I think it in many ways has unfortunately escalated it. Um, on the other hand, and I'll say more about that in a moment, but sure. first, on the other hand, it's, uh, it's made it easier for people to speak up Anonymously, that might have otherwise not spoken up at all. But mm-hmm. the 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 again the sh- the shadow side, the the leaden side of uh, of the internet is that it, it when when there's anonymity or when there's physical distance, when mm-hmm. when there's there's no physical connection through the internet, uh, it, it, there is no physical connection. It is so much easier to speak up in violating ways. And, uh, and not only do that, but to get away with it and sometimes even be applauded with other people uh, kind of ganging up and, uh, and doing sexual or verbal or, uh, well, verbal sexual or verbal
1: mm-hmm. other
2: kinds of, um, of isms, violation, uh, piling on. So uh, the, the impersonalness of the Internet in some ways encourages even more incivility and violating words.
1: The sexual awareness of the youth of today, as well as the ability to to share their sexual uh, proudness and their abilities online. What does this tell you as a psychologist about the generations to come?
2: Well, what it tells me is is a little bit more general than just the sexual piece, but the okay. uh, the the internet, what we've got we 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 have this incredible technology called the internet. Mm-hmm. it's it's relatively speaking on a historical level, it's relatively young, it's relatively new. and I believe that we are going through the phase in the early development of, of something new a new invention or a new technology or whatever it is that's new that I consider to be the intoxication phase where we're so drunk on the the what we can do or get away with or try or play with with something like the internet that we don't really um, pay attention to the ethics very, strongly of how to utilize the internet in a good way and so we've got these kids that are uh, are using the internet to um, to talk openly about their sexual conquests for mm-hmm. example and uh, and they are not really, having a mature relationship with the medium yet, as is the case, I think, with an awful lot of people, regardless of their age and regardless of whether we're talking about sexuality or something else. I think this phase will be outgrown by the majority of people as the internet will have been around long enough, ultimately, for us to develop right relationship with it.
1: So this is the new broom sweeping clean.
2: The new broom sweeping clean. What do you mean?
1: Well, it's new, so uh, you know the internet is relatively new compared to the other forms of media out there, and uh, there are those people out there who are just experimenting the newness to see exactly how far it can go and how far it can it can reach. And it seems that there are so many people today that are using the internet for their own notoriety without any regard to safety or to any other decency that may have at once been part of their life. Yes. And let's go a step more blunt, not just to serve
2: their own notoriety, but to serve their their unabashed narcissism, their self-centeredness, okay. where they don't even care about the impact that they have on others. I just had to ban somebody from my Facebook, uh, uh, my Facebook wall, my Facebook timeline, because they were being verbally abusive to a post or oh, comments no. that someone else on my timeline had made. And they then responded to my, uh, my calling this to their attention by basically saying they couldn't care less. So huh. I banned them.
1: Let me ask you something totally off topic here. Sure. S- since you brought up the Internet. Why do people feel it's so important to take pictures of what they're having for lunch or breakfast and share it with the internet like what's behind it david you're a psychologist if anyone can answer this question my friend i hope you can <laughs> well
2: let's let's expand that why do why are people so obsessed with selfies <laughs>
1: oh geez yeah or, or
2: right yeah well i i think rob that that uh on a on a really important level the, that, I, that I would most like to illuminate in this discussion is that it, it, it really shows us how separated people are, how starved people are for really true, authentic, deep, personal, human connection with each other. And so, in the absence of that, when people are thirsty and starved for that, they are going to act out. They're going to attempt to create connection, however they can, and through an impersonal medium like the internet, they'll try to make uh, create connection that they'll never get, but but you see, the internet. The internet is
1: kinds of pictures. The internet is not impersonal. Whatever goes on the net stays on the net. So when these people are making these stupid comments or these pictures or these selfies or, or all the other silly things that I've seen on the internet, if an employer, a prospective employer is going to consider them for a job, they get a company like there's many companies out there that do internet background investigations. That information will pop forward. Don't they realize that what they are doing is they're not just sending a picture to their friends? They are basically sending their picture to the world that will remain in a a new dimension. That's right, called
2: the internet. Yes. Oh, it's, it's, it's even more dramatic than that, Rob. You know, people are, many people are really worried about the invasion of privacy and big brother and all of that Mm. stuff. And for understandable reasons, I'm not putting that down. But what a lot of people don't understand is they are their own big brother when they're, when they're the one that's, that's posting stuff that could come back to bite them later on. They are the one that's orchestrating their own
1: demise. Exactly, and like I've said to people many times on this show, excuse me, mm-hmm. you use your gas card, you use your bank card, you use your social security number, you use your passport. Big brother, they issued those numbers. So whether you want to go off the grid or not, you're not it's not going to happen. However, <laughs> I also tell the people... If you have nothing to hide, you have nothing to fear. Exactly.
2: Wouldn't it just be easier? And believe me, this is one of the things that I love about the Internet, the Mm -hmm. the golden side of what the Internet could be, is that because our our ability to keep secrets uh, is being eroded more and more by the Internet, wouldn't it just be easier to not have any secrets? Wouldn't it be easier to just live a life of integrity so that you can be transparent
1: and not worry about the fact that you're transparent or exposed, quote-unquote? Exactly. Exactly, because there are no secrets on the Internet. Because, you know, people, people feel that, all right, well, I'll use a different name. But they give you a phone number or a Skype address or something else to contact them with within 30 seconds of having a phone number an email address a Skype address or any other contact point we can tell well the producers do research and we know everything about this person before they even pick up the phone to come on the show yes yes absolutely
2: and and people don't quite grasp that they will eventually as the internet yeah. matures and people relate people's relationship with it matures but we're not there yet
1: we're getting there faster than a lot of people believe. We are getting mm. there that much faster. Um, what about this, all the talk about the transplanting of human consciousness into um, virtual reality avatars? Have, you, have, have, any, have any of your clients or any of these talks that you have given around the world, has anybody ever asked you your opinion on that? Well, no, I, I haven't actually
2: been asked my opinion about that, well, which is me, kind let, of interesting let because me do I've this, tracked
1: it in science fiction for decades. Let me do this then. David, what is your opinion on virtual reality and having human consciousness placed in virtual reality?
2: Well, my my opinion is that our creative process mm-hmm. is what birthed the ability to do this, and there is no such thing as uh, as reversing time that i know of at least and 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 undoing the technology so my opinion is that this is going to continue to gather momentum mm-hmm. and it's going to continue to be explored and our biggest responsibility is to dare to have the difficult ethical conversations about how to build right relationship with artificial intelligence and avatars on the internet so that maybe they can add to our richness as human beings rather than erode it.
1: I was surprised to find out uh, over the weekend that there are actually websites where people, well, virtual reality websites where people actually go and they have totally different lives with totally different partners than they do in, I don't even know if we can call this reality anymore. But <laughs> but there are people who get divorced in these virtual reality scenarios where money is transported and, and exchanged in these virtual reality worlds where property is bought and sold in these virtual reality worlds. And I'm saying, my God, what is this world coming to? Are these people who cannot cope with reality on this side of the fence and they, they cope with what they want to believe life should be like on the other? Well,
2: I have no doubt that there are people like that, mm-hmm. but let's, let's draw an analogy. Uh, there, you know, when, when, uh, in the, uh, sixties and seventies, when there was this massive leap in, uh, mind altering drug use, there were a lot of people who were using mind altering drugs as is the case today yep. for the purpose of escape. And then there were, were certain individuals who were utilizing those drugs the way they've been used, utilized in indigenous cultures for thousands of, e- thousands of years for consciousness expansion. Same thing is going to go on with with uh, A.I., you know, people who are living alternative lives. There are going to be certain individuals who are fascinated with the very constructs of what is reality. And I wish that those people were the ones who were leading the way with A.I., because Mm -hmm. if A.I. gets run by people who are escaping and, uh, and trying to avoid themselves, that's not going to be a good thing.
1: David, stand by. We've got to take our final break. Dr. David Grutter is our guest, exonation, Nation, and uh, Dr. Grutter and I will be back on the other side of this break as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon. Talk away. The earth is under ever-increasing pressure from untenable lifestyles and growing populations. Yet, viable answers seem in short supply. What if I told you there's an ancient form that can empower you to take charge of your life? What if your entire family could be enfolded and supported by life itself? finding safe passage through challenging times. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Art School with Great News, an upcoming series of leading-edge online affordable classes based in an ancient form of shamanism easily learned and used by your entire family. Remember, 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Folks like to get away Take a holiday from the neighborhood Hop a flight to Miami Beach Or to Hollywood when I'm taking a gray hand On the Hudson River line I'm in a New York state of mind Dr. David Gruder is my special guest this hour, www.drgrutter.com and www.thenewiq.com. Uh, David, what would you like to finish with our artificial intelligence before we get on to our next little topic or two?
2: Well, I, I, the only thing that I can think of further to say about mm-hmm. artificial intelligence is uh, is that the speed at which the technology and artificial intelligence is expanding is is mind-boggling it's it's staggeringly fast and so I I think it's important for those of us who are social observers and those of us who care about our own well-being and our own development make a point of learning more about developments in Mm -hmm. artificial intelligence so that we can be thinking about what we want our relationship with that technology to be before it's forced on us.
1: Some people pursue wealth at any cost, David, and are hated for it, while others seem to be almost allergic to wealth while expecting it to be taken care of now. From a psychological perspective, do you see us living in an economically sound world or an economically sick one?
2: Oh my, well, hey, let's really switch gears for sure. Yeah, I, I do see us as living in an economically sick world in mm-hmm. many, many ways. Uh, not, on a personal level, Uh, and uh, at a at a global level because we haven't at, at the global level we we are in an age of fiat currency which a lot of people don't know that term but what it means is that our currency our our monetary system is no longer backed by commodities by gold or silver we used to be on a gold standard a silver standard now it's monopoly money it's fake money people can basically invent money out of thin air so uh just right there we are not on solid ground financially
1: well what is the battle cry then of the pro-wealth forks and the battle cry of those who who find wealth repulsive and what damage is the polarization between these two groups creating in society then
2: Oh my! Well, you know, it's a funny thing because we we are accepting money in its current form by by social agreement, which is fine. I mean, it's mm-hmm. working more or less. Well, but what we've been divided into is is essentially two groups in our society. Um, I'm, I'm oversimplifying a little bit just to make a point. One group says insists that in order to be profitable, you have to be willing to sacrifice personal integrity and or uh life balance or social uh, uh, precious relationships or social responsibility and the other group is saying the equally and oppositely insane perspective which is where they're insisting that you have to be willing to sacrifice financial well-being in order to preserve personal integrity and life balance and cherished relationships and social responsibility both of those groups are equally and oppositely nuts
1: you know, recently you publicly revealed that you uncovered a huge hidden issue that has been causing financial well-being to elude you uh, I'm sorry, elude you after having previously been quite successful financially. Now, what did you discover and how has this changed things not only for you but for the people you've been helping with psychological money challenges?
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. It it was really mind-blowing. Uh the the thing that I uncovered in myself mm-hmm. was that I was carrying entitlement issues around money, and they were very subtle. They weren't the ones that are being talked about in the press. My entitlement issues were basically I was carrying this script that said that my character, my integrity, my good nature, my good intentions as a human being and my skills and my talents and my products and my services, that those things by themselves should be enough to make me money, that I was actually entitled to sidestep or not really pay attention to the, uh, the, other dimensions of creating money, which as an entrepreneur, we have to be really good at marketing and at selling and mm-hmm. at closing a sale and things like that. And I was just operating from this perspective of, uh, i I'm a great human being and I got wonderful, wonderful stuff that should be enough by itself to make me money. Hmm. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. And I didn't see it. It was in shadow. It was it was a blind spot of mine. And the more I've talked about that blind spot of mine with other people, mm-hmm. they especially my clients, they've they've been saying to me, "Oh my gosh, I carry something like that too." And here's my version of that, uh, of my hidden entitlements around uh, around money, mm-hmm. um, subtle entitlements. And I've been working with them to. Uh, to emerge from the spell that they've been under, as I've been under around money, and uh, and then to rebuild a completely different relationship with money that's not just psychologically sound but financially sane.
1: So it can be turned around. It can be fixed. And does it take a long time? Well, it depends on the person. It depends on how much baggage they're
2: carrying. Like with one person, mm-hmm. one one. Person that uh, is a client of mine. Uh, we we worked on his money shadow, his uh, his um, you know blind spots around money. And literally two days later, he contacted me to say that he had closed on that one day alone fifty thousand dollars of new business that he wasn't expecting, didn't count on, and it was just because of being able to have conversations with people in a different way uh, that he opened up doors that he didn't even know were there for him to walk through whereas another client of mine that mm-hmm. I was uh, that I'm working with had uh, was ju- his mind was blown about how out of whack his overall money paradigm has been and it's taking him a little longer to kind of reassemble a well uh, a a useful Paradigm A useful worldview around money so that he can start translating that into revenue in a better way himself. But it's going to
1: happen for him too. Excellent. David, we've got about uh, three minutes left. And before we go, I'd like you to talk to us about the the Mankind Project. What is it and, and how did you get involved?
2: Ah, well, the Mankind Project is about 30 years old, and it's, a, uh, it's an international nonprofit of men mentoring men into mature manhood, if I say it as a, as a soundbite. Uh, so we're, we're a group of men from around the world who are wanting to create a safer world and a more integrous world by becoming safer and more integrous ourselves and helping one another as men succeed at that. Uh, and so the Mankind Project is in a number of different countries around the world, and uh, and I became involved in November—actually, that's right, November—so uh, this month, as we're recording this, of 2002, uh, for the first time. My goodness. And, uh, I found a home where I could talk with other men and be mentored by other men around deeper issues, around being a man in this world and how to be a man in a good way, and how to unblock the the blocks in me that stand between me and being and living in full integrity with my life mission. And w- we help each other to do that.
1: David, what are your final thoughts for the Exo Nation tonight?
2: Well. Uh, maybe my final thought is to give people a way to look into the Mankind Project. Can I offer a URL for that? Oh, please
1: do. Please do, my friend.
2: So it's mkp.org. M-K-P for Mankind Project dot O-R-G is the international website. And if you're in the U.S., you can do mkpusa.org.
1: Any new books coming out,
2: Dave? Oh, well, I'm, I'm, uh, they 're stacking up. I have a number that i 'm working on, but i haven't decided which one is going to go first. I think what 's going to go next is my book, Resetting Power: Resetting Our Relationship
1: with power david let us let our listeners know where they can get copies of the books you have out on the market right now and how they can find out more about you. Sure. Uh, Well, you know, the best way to learn about my books and
2: my courses and my other resources is through drgruder.com, D-R-G-R-U-D-E-R.com, and I have links on that site that will take you to the various places you can access my various resources.
1: David, as always a great pleasure talking to you, my friend, and uh, to you, your family, your friends and associates. Nothing but the very best of this holiday season, and a very happy healthy, and prosperous new year.
2: Oh, and back to you in
1: big, big ways, Rob. Thank you for all of the light you're bringing to the world. Uh, bless you, my friend, and I look forward to having many conversations with you in the new year to come. Ditto. Take care, David. Exonation. T- Dr. David Gruder has been my guest to this hour, www.drgruder.com, as well as his Integrity Intelligence website, www.thenewiq.com com I'll be back on the other side of this commercial break at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton Ontario Canada don't forget to check out the exon broadcast network at www.